passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Crosswinds. Over the past several weeks, uh, past few months, we've been working our way through uh, the book of Genesis, and we've been especially looking at the life of Abraham from this book. And as we uh, first encountered Abraham, it was in the chapter, uh, it was in Genesis chapter 11. As we encountered Abraham, we, we saw that Abraham lived hundreds of miles away from the promised land, that Abraham was actually a man who didn't know God and was actually worshiping the moon. And then in Genesis chapter 12, his faith journey begins. It begins with God calling him at the young age of 75 to follow him to a land that he did not know. In fact, Abraham was called to leave behind his entire family, called to leave behind his household. And somewhat surprisingly, Abram obeys. In fact, Abraham sets off on a journey and comes eventually to the lands in, uh, in Palestine. And as he gets there, he worships God for the first time. He worships God, and it's just a stunning display of faith from a man who just met this God only a few months before. This decision to follow God in Genesis chapter 12 starts an up and down journey for the rest of Abraham's life. And over the next 100 years of Abraham's life, we see stunning displays of faith that make us marvel when we look at his heart. And we also see stunning displays of, of unbelief that leave us shocked that this man could be both so faithful and yet so disobedient and untrusting of God. And it leaves us scratching our heads. The good news for us is that throughout all of these times, throughout the good times and the bad times, throughout it all, God's promises to Abraham remain the same. Abraham doesn't earn more promises from God when he is faithful, and he doesn't lose the promises that God has given to us, given to him when he is disobedient. God has given Abraham many promises, and the center of these promises is one towering above the rest, and that is the promise for a child. See, Abraham and Sarah, when they left Haran, Abraham was 75, they left Haran childless. And God promised them that he would give them a child. And for the next 25 years, they waited. And they waited. And they waited for God to fulfill his promise to them. We saw last week that after 25 years of waiting, that God fulfilled this promise, giving them a son. And I want you to just imagine how much joy filled their home at that time. Remember, the name Isaac the name of their child means laughter. What an appropriate name for this child that erased decades of anguish with the moment of his birth. And for the next three years, Isaac was the center of their lives. Everything that they did centered around him. Their la laughter filled their home when Isaac first smiled. Laughter filled their home when Isaac first began to crawl. Laughter filled their home when Isaac first began to talk. It might not have been the most enjoyable thing for Abraham to get up in the middle of the night to sue the crying baby at a, as a hundred-something years old. 
but he saw it as a small sacrifice after seeing every person around him get the privilege of being a father. And so it was of no consequence to him. For three years, things couldn't be more perfect for Abraham, for Sarah, and for Isaac. But then on, Abra- or on Isaac's third birthday, something significant happened. I imagine that Isaac was acting like a three-year-old should. Maybe he had a stick and he was fighting off the bad guys who were trying to take his mom, saying, Mom, don't worry, I'm going to save you. But then his 17-year-old half-brother stepped in and had no desire to play childish games. And in fact, he wanted Isaac to know who the real man of the house was. And so he took the stick, broke it in half, and began beating his, son, beating his half-brother with it. We don't know exactly what happened. That's just my imagination. But we do know that something changed, something happened, and things would never be the same. In a whirlwind of activity, Abraham was forced to kick his son Ishmael and his mistress Hagar out of their family. And it tore his heart to pieces. Time passed. Things were different. But joy returned to this home. After all, laughter lived in their midst. Isaac lived there. Abraham and Sarah had the privilege of raising Isaac from a small infant all the way to a young man of about 20 or so years of age. I just imagine that Abraham looking at his only son, now a young man, his heart swelled with pride every single time that he saw him. And he thought to himself, who am I that God has given me the privilege of raising this young man? Who am I that God has given me the privilege of teaching this young man how to shepherd, how to hunt, how to care for a woman when he watches me and his mom? Who am I that this man has uh, been given to me to teach about God and to show him how to follow God? Oftentimes, Abraham was overcome with laughter just at the thoughts of being a dad. God had been good to Abraham. In fact, God had given Abraham everything that he had promised and more. Isaac was the one that he had prayed for his entire life. You might be saying, well, Jordan, how do you know that Isaac is, is 20 in this chapter? Truth be told, I don't. Uh, scholars are split over the age of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, where we're going to be this morning. Actually, Jewish tradition says that Isaac was 37 at the age, uh, or at the time of Genesis 22. The way they reach this is that uh, Sarah died 37 years after Isaac was born, and they say that the reason why she died was because of the shock of what took place in Genesis chapter 22. I don't necessarily buy that, but I do think that it's important for us to recognize that Isaac is pretty old. He is in his prime, or he is at least very close to it. The same word that's used here to describe Isaac is the same word that's used to describe 17-year-old Ishmael in the chapter previous. If we look in Genesis chapter 22, they set off on this journey up a mountain, and Abraham, all he carries is a knife, and he carries some, uh, some equipment to start a fire. And he loads a ton of wood onto his son Isaac. Isaac is a man who is in the prime of his life, and even though I don't know exactly that he's uh, 20 in this story, I think that it's a good estimate. It could mean that he's 20, 25, even 30. The point is, Isaac is at the prime of his life here in Genesis chapter 22. 
We may not know Isaac's exact age, but we are confident about the relationship between Abraham and Isaac here. Abraham loved Isaac. Abraham had seen Isaac grow from an infant all the way into this young man who he was so proud of to call his heir. Each day they worked side by side. Each day they laughed together. They prayed together. They ate together. Abraham would do anything for his son Isaac. Maybe many of you can relate to that. You look at your children and you can relate to that same love of Abraham for his son Isaac. I've only had the privilege of being a dad for nine and a half months, but it strikes a chord with me. The great love that Abraham has for his son Isaac. Abraham looks at his son and looks at this as a privilege to to raise this child, to teach this child how to follow God, of being in this child's life. Maybe we can relate to those same emotions. You see, life is good for Abraham. Life is good for Sarah. God is faithful. Isaac is healthy. Isaac is a wonderful young man. Every dream that they have had has come true. But then Genesis chapter 22 comes. And the paradise that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac had constructed comes crashing down instantly. Hear these words from Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. How would you respond if you were Abraham? How would you respond if you heard these words of God just as Abraham heard them? The words of God came like a thunderbolt down into Abraham's life. And I imagine that they were even harsher for Abraham than they are for us to just read. You see, the narrator starts this passage making it very clear that this is a test from God. The outsiders are given knowledge that Abraham, even in the midst of this, is not given. We know that this is a test. It's a difficult test. It's a horrifying test. It's one that I thank God that none of us ever have to face but it is simply a test nonetheless. It's important for us to recognize that this test is not like a quality control test. The purpose of this test is not to push Abraham so far to see how far he can go before he breaks. This isn't like testing a car to its limits or seeing how much weight a bridge can hold before it collapses. Instead, this is a test to see the faith of Abraham grow. And so Abraham is put through this test to see how much faith he has and to help his faith grow and stress and stretching in a difficult situation. That's the purpose of this test here. And that's really the purpose of God's tests for each and every one of us as well. When God tests us, and indeed he does test us, he does so with the purpose of growing our faith. It's a painful process. It's a difficult circumstance that we are faced with. And we are stretched thin. But all of those are used by God to help us grow closer to him. I love the way one author puts it. He says this, Here Abraham's faith was going to be stretched to the utter limit. 
And because he held firm, his faith has become the grand faith example in history. We see from this that the way to increase faith is to exercise faith. Trust God as you can, and he will give you so much more than you expect. And your faith will grow even more. See, we can see the purpose of this test. The purpose of this test is to grow Abraham's faith. But Abraham can't see that purpose. What started as a delight, hearing the words, the voice of God, the one that he had been blessed by, the one that he had walked with for nearly 50 years, soon became a nightmare. Notice the emphasis here in chapter 2 on Abraham's great love for his son Isaac. In verse 2 it says this, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God knows how much Isaac means to Abraham. God knows how much Abraham loves Isaac. How every single prayer that Abraham offers starts with thanksgiving for his son Isaac. God knows that he is asking the world of Abraham. And he asks Abraham anyway. And so God asks Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering. If you were with us this past December, we took some time to look at the different sacrifices of the Old Testament. And we looked at the burnt offering first and foremost. We saw that the burnt offering is a very long, gruesome process. First, someone, when they were offering an animal as a burnt offering, they would slit the animal's throat. Next, they would dismember the entire animal and stack the different body parts onto the altar in a certain way. And then they would burn the entire body in its totality. And all of that comes to mind when Abraham hears God say, Go to Moriah and offer up Isaac as a burnt offering. We can only guess what goes through Abraham's mind After hearing this, he's been following God for 45 years. And now God asks Abraham to do something that seems completely contradictory to God's character. In fact, it seems to be a a moral offense, a social offense, a spiritual offense. It sounds more like the worship of the pagan culture surrounding Abraham than it does the worship of the one true God. And yet, in spite of all of this, Abraham is obedient. Abraham knows that no matter how difficult this calling is, no matter how horrifying this act is, no matter how much he wants to disobey, God is trustworthy. And so he remains obedient during this time. Many of us are faced with tough times right now. Maybe for some of us, it is a tough time at work. You find yourself exasperated. No matter what you do, nothing goes as planned. It would be far easier to quit and to move on. For some of us, it is maybe an interpersonal struggle. You find some people that it just seems like it is their goal in life to make your life miserable. No matter what you do, you can't improve on things. It could be family members. It could be someone that you see at work or at school. It could even be your spouse. You feel trapped as if there's no way out. For others still, the difficult time you're facing is a chronic health 
problem. It doesn't matter what you do, how healthy you eat, how often you exercise. Your health and your energy seem to ebb and flow at the whim of some unknown force. For some of us, the struggle is emotional wellness. For others of us, it is a consistent battle against lust or pride or addictions or self-worth. For others of us, it is financial stress. And we could go on and on and on. Every single one of us has faced a hard time. And many of us are in hard times right now. As we look at Genesis chapter 22, we ask ourselves, how do we respond in these hardships? Let me offer a suggestion to us. What if we looked at our hardships the same way that Genesis 22 looks at the hardship faced by Abraham? What if we saw our hardships as a test? Might God be using our hardships? Might God be using our difficulties, our frustrations with our job or with other people to grow our faith deeper and to draw us nearer to him? That doesn't mean that it's going to be guaranteed roses if we pass the test, whatever that means. But our faith can deepen. What if we looked at our hardships in that light? I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, but God can and will use our hardships to draw us closer to him and deeper into a relationship with him if we allow him. As we see from Genesis chapter 22, that's exactly what Abraham does. He looks at this hardship as an opportunity to express his trust in God. He looks at this hardship as an opportunity to show his dependence upon God and to be drawn into a greater relationship with him. That's what we see in the next coming verses. Pick up in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. The command of God in Genesis chapter 22 verse 2 is absolutely astounding for us. What's even more astounding to us is the response of Abraham. Abraham responds with obedience. And not only does Abraham respond with obedience, he responds with obedience instantly. As soon as it is possible for Abraham to begin making preparations for this journey, he does. Notice that the the text says this early in the morning, he begins this process of preparing for this journey. It's the exact same way that Abraham prepared early in the morning in Genesis chapter 21, when God called him to dispel Ishmael and Hagar. Abraham responds with instant obedience. Now, Abraham also works in complete silence. In a positive note, that means that there is no hesitation from Abraham. There is no argument from Abraham. God calls Abraham and Abraham obeys him. But at the same time, it's a positive. It also shows the anguish that Abraham is feeling right now. It shows us that Abraham doesn't really know what to say during this time. This is agony for Abraham as he prepares this. He doesn't know what to say as he is preparing to offer his son as a sacrifice. 
And in the silence, we see a lesson that Abraham has learned after decades and decades of following God. And that is this. It is not his job to figure out what God is doing. It is instead his job to follow and to trust and to obey. See, Abraham learned this in Egypt. He learned that God is trustworthy and following God is best. He learned this when he, was, uh, he, he chose to sleep with Hagar, that God's plan is trustworthy and it is a disaster to not follow his plan. God's plan is trustworthy. He learned this in Philistia as he almost lost Sarah to Abimelech. God has taught him so many things in the moments of his failures. And he doesn't know what God is doing now in Genesis chapter 22, but he does know that God is trustworthy. He does know that God is worthy of trust and God is in charge and that God has promised him and God will not forget those promises. See, the text tells us that Abraham sets out with his young men and with Isaac. I just imagine that the silence that we see here at the beginning of this chapter continues as Abraham sets out. He walks in silence for three days. He only speaks when he's spoken to. And when he speaks, he only replies with just as few as words possible. And Isaac, he's been camping with his dad before. He knows that something is off with his dad. He can see the internal wrestling in his father, Isaac. And he tries to pry to see what's bothering his dad a couple times. But after his dad dismisses him, he just decides that his dad doesn't want to talk about it. But his dad is trustworthy. And so he walks with him for 50 miles in silence. And at long last, Abraham breaks the silence as he sees off in the distance the place where the sacrifice is about to be offered. He tells his servants to wait at his location and he decides to continue on with Isaac. And he offers some probably the most perplexing words in this story. He says this in verse 5. He says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. In the Hebrew, it makes it very clear that Abraham is saying that both of us will go and worship. Both of us will return. So what's going on here? Is Abraham lying? After all, that's not outside of Abraham's character. We've seen Abraham lie time and time again throughout the story of Genesis. But every single time Abraham lies, he lies to protect himself. He lies, he deceives others so that way he can save his own skin. And that doesn't seem to be what's the focus here. Abraham doesn't seem to be lying. He seems to be doing something else. And I think the only acceptable answer is also the simplest. Somehow, some way, Abraham trusts God enough to come through for him. This is what the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, in 45 years of following God, Abraham had seen enough from God to trust him. He knew that God would 
be glorified in this situation. He knew that God was in charge. Every single time Abraham had been promised something, God fulfilled that promise. Every single time Abraham was in a tough spot, God came through for him time and time again. On the flip side, Abraham had seen how disastrous things were when he chose not to trust God, when he chose to go his own way. And so Abraham knew that God had promised that Isaac would be the one through whom all of his children would be named. And he didn't know how. He didn't know the process. But he did know that God would work things out. And so in pain and in silence, Abraham trusts that God would provide. I think that's a lesson for us this morning. Will God actually follow through on his promises to us if we obey him? Will God actually follow through on his promises if we obey him, even when it costs us much? And the answer of the Bible is a resounding yes. The Bible tells us in, in Hebrews to keep the marriage bed pure, to avoid sexual immorality. And when people come to Christ and they're living together, they, they say, you know what, I, I, I just can't do this. We can't make this work financially. And God responds, follow me, trust me, and I will take care of you. You might be a student in school and all of your friends are involved in cheating. And it's going to be very hard for you to just even make a good grade if you don't engage in the same type of cheating. But God says in his word that he doesn't like that kind of behavior. Are you going to trust God to come through for you and not engage in that kind of behavior? If you deal honestly in business, you may stand to lose a lot of money, but God calls us to remain faithful, to keep our integrity, and he will take care of the rest. See, when we are faced with hardship, when we are faced with these decisions, ask yourself, have I seen enough from God to trust him? Look back at your life. Look to the cross. Ask, have I seen enough from God to consider him trustworthy? Maybe not in this specific situation. But over the course of my life, has God proved himself trustworthy? And I would venture a guess for every single person in here, we would say yes. God has proved himself trustworthy, even if we look no further than the cross Because it was at the cross that God took care of our greatest need as we stood before a holy and wrath-filled, righteous God. And so I implore each and every one of us this morning, obey God's word. Trust in God, even if we don't know how it will work out. Let's continue in verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them 
together. You see, as Abraham and Isaac continue up the mountain, Abraham loads enough wood on his son to, buy, to burn an entire body whole. That's why it's mistaken of us to think that Isaac at this time is just a five-year-old or just a ten-year-old. He is the one who's carrying all of the heavy stuff while Abraham is weak. Abraham can barely make it up the mountain. As they continue up the mountain in silence, finally Isaac decides to answer, ask the obvious question. God, he says, Dad, you know, I, I'm carrying all of this wood for the burnt offering. You have a knife. You have the this, this stuff to start the fire. Everything's here, but where's the animal? Where's the lamb that we will offer before God? And, I, and Abraham knew that this question was coming. And he answers the only way that he knows how. And he says, you know what, my son, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham didn't know how God was going to see things through, but he knew that God would provide. He believed that God would provide a substitution for his son in this act of sacrifice. And as we all know, thousands of years after this, God did just that. God did indeed provide a lamb for the offering. And unlike Isaac, who was not offered up as Abraham's only son, God offered up his only son as our substitute. Abraham trusts that God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. After all, this is what John the Baptist says in John chapter 1, where he says, looking at Jesus for one of the first times, he says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Abraham believes and trusts that God will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb, my friends. God did it on Calvary, and Abraham trusts that God will do the same here for his son, Isaac. That's where we continue in verse 9. It says, When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. You see, when they had finally arrived at this location, Abraham continues in faith. But I think it's significant to not just look at the faith of Abraham here, but also the faith of Isaac, his son. Remember, Isaac is a grown man at this time. Isaac is stronger than Abraham. Isaac is faster than Abraham. Isaac is able to overpower Abraham in every possible way. And Isaac allows his son to lay him on the altar. Who knows what kind of conversation the two of them had at this time. Don't know if Abraham tried to explain to Isaac what God had done for him and what God had asked him to do as his face burned with hot tears. He may have taken time to remind Isaac of all of the ways that God had shown himself trustworthy, of the promises that God had given to Abraham, saying that through Isaac, all of your children will be known. And in the silence, Isaac obeys. You see, the silence of this passage speaks volumes of the faith of Isaac. It also speaks volumes about the faith of Abraham as a dad. Just as his dad obeys God without fully knowing what God is going to do, so also Isaac obeys his father without fully knowing what God is going to do. 
It shows the great job that Abraham has done parenting his son Isaac. See, Abraham for 20 years consistently, habitually taught his son about God, pointed his son to God in every single aspect. In Genesis chapter 15, God commands Abraham to teach his children about God. And Abraham took that, that calling very, very seriously. Several years ago, I was visiting some friends. And this, uh, this couple was a little bit older than me. And they had a five-year-old son. And they knew I was in seminary at the time, and so they decided uh, when I came over for a meal that it was time to pray before the meal. And so as we all gather to pray, um, they asked me to say the prayer, and, and so I pray. And then afterwards, the five-year-old looks at his dad and says, Daddy, why did we do this? And he just bends his head in prayer. It was a sign to me, and probably a pretty embarrassing sign to the parents, that they had never taken the time to pray to God with their children. And from the mouth of this five-year-old, their sin was revealed. And I, I look at that story, I remember that story, and I, and I look at the, the relationship between Abraham and Isaac here. If Abraham had not taken his responsibility to point his son to God, there is no way that Isaac would have allowed this to happen. If Abraham would have just haphazardly, when it was convenient, taught his children about God, there is no way that Isaac would have voluntarily let his father bind him, would have voluntarily let his dad place him on the altar. But it was because it was a consistent, lifelong journey of teaching Isaac about God that Isaac trusted his dad. Isaac trusted that his dad knew what was going on and that his dad was trustworthy. See, fathers and parents, do we take that same responsibility seriously? Do we take the same responsibility that we see here from Abraham to teach his son about God seriously? If Abraham would not have done that, there's no way he would have responded in this exact same way. Do we take our responsibility to teach our children about God seriously, just like Abraham? Conversely, children, do you respond with trust just like Isaac does to his father and to his God? We may not understand the will of our parents. We may not understand the will of our heavenly father. But will we trust him? Do we consider him to be trustworthy? Will we follow our parents as they point us to God? And so Isaac is laid on the altar, and the narrative slows down here. And here we, we see this picture. It's, it's a tragic picture. Isaac, this brave son, lets his father bind him, lets his, his father place him on the altar, and he tries to be brave for his dad. He tries to remain strong for his dad, but he weakens. His courage fails, and he begins to cry. And Abraham, he wants to look at his son. He wants to encourage and, and strengthen his son to, to let him know that everything's going to be okay. But at the same time, he can't bear the thought of looking at his son and the light leaving his eyes as he plunges the knife into his body. And so Abraham is about to offer his son, and he offers up one final silent prayer one last time and says, God, 
help me. And help God does. Take a look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. See, moments before Abraham offers Isaac as a sacrifice, God stays his hand. They've been walking together from the beginning. They've been walking in silence this entire time. And then all of a sudden, right before, in the 11th hour, they hear the sweetest sound possible, the voice of God telling Abraham to stop. It is just as Abraham has said, God will provide the lamb. And I just imagine that the, the tears of anguish that Abraham was crying instantly become tears of joy. The knife that was meant to slay his son is now used to free his son. The worship that was only meant for Abraham is now something that they can participate in together. And as they slaughter this ram, as they go through the long, lengthy process of preparing this burnt offering, they're reminded vividly of the substitution that God has provided for them and the significance of this offering. Whole, complete, utter devotion to God. You see what God does here. He explains to Abraham the purpose of this test. He reveals to Abraham, you know what, I've been testing you and now I know that you only serve me. I tested your loyalties, Abraham, and you showed yourself faithful. Now, I'm sure over the last 20 years of Abraham's life, as he's raising Isaac, Abraham has fallen into idolatry. He's fallen into idolatry every now and then, where he places the gift of Isaac above the one who gave him that gift. And it makes sense. After all, many of us struggle with the, the challenge of not idolizing our children. And Abraham has waited 100, 100 years for this son. And so the temptation to idolize this gift would have been great. And so God tests Abraham. He tests Abraham to see where his loyalties really lie. He tests Abraham to see where his hope truly lies. Does his hope lie with the promise? Or does his hope lie with the promise keeper? I want you to ask the same question. Where does your hope lie? Where do you find greatest satisfaction? Is it, is in, the, is it in the gift? Or is, is it in the gift giver? Some of us, like Abraham, may struggle with idolizing our children. They are a wonderful gift, but do our lives revolve around them? Does our hope reside in them? Some of us may be struggling with idolizing our job or our ability to provide for our family. Good things. But does our hope lie there? Does our identity lie there? Still others of us might idolize our things, our possessions, what we have. Again, a gift from God. But only a gift. 
and not God. The purpose of the sacrifice here is to test Abraham's loyalties, to make sure that Abraham worships God and God alone. And so as you look at this test of Abraham, ask yourself, where do my loyalties lie? Where do my loyalties lie? What threatens my love for God? That may just be what God is calling you to let go, to hold more loosely. And so after this burnt offering, God speaks again, and and that's what this passage ends with in verse 15. It says this, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba, at Beersheba. If you notice, that this, the way this passage closes, it's referring to, to Abraham's faithfulness. And God responds to Abraham's faithfulness. He says, you know what? All of the conditional promises, all the things that I had promised to you in Genesis chapter 12, which were conditional, now are unconditional. But they're not just unconditional for you. They're unconditional for those who follow you, for your descendants, for the rest of time. I think that that's what this text is trying to remind us. This text is telling us, as we look at this test of Abraham, as we look at the difficulties that we are experiencing, how God is trying to grow our faith, draw us near to him, as God is challenging us on where our love really lies, this text reminds us, when God tests, he also provides. When God tests, he also provides. The great tester is also the great provider. And remember that when you are in the midst of hardship whether that is at work, whether that is in interpersonal relationships, whether that's with your family, whatever it is, God provides when he tests. Unequivocally, God provides when he tests. Now, God might not promise you or provide you with the easy way out, but he does provide you with a chance to trust him. He does provide you with a chance to draw near to him. And the reason we can say that with 100% certainty is because of the cross. I mentioned earlier that our greatest problem, the greatest hardship that any of us has ever faced, will ever face, is our need before a holy God. And God provided for us there. There are a number of parallels here between Isaac and Jesus we could go into all of them. The fact that they are both young men. If you notice, they both carry wood that will eventually be what is used to kill them. They are both only sons. They are both offered up as sacrifices. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. See, if you notice from this passage, some of you may have a, a version uh, that uses a little different language here in, in verses 15 through 19. If you notice in verse 17, 
It says this, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. That's what this translation says. And in verse verse 18 following that, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. When we look at the word offspring, it can be both a singular and a plural word. And some of your translations interpret this as a plural, but I think it's a little more faithful to interpret this as a singular. Your offspring, your offspring, Abraham, will be a blessing to the nations. This passage is pointing us to Jesus, to the one who ultimately is a blessing to the nations. And next week, we're going to spend some time looking at this passage again. We're going to look at how it connects us to Easter, how it connects us to the sacrifice of Christ, how God ultimately provided a lamb who would take away the sin of the world. And it is in that lamb, the one who has been provided for us, that we are able to trust God, that we are able to trust God in the midst of our hardship in the midst of our difficulties, because when God tests, he also provides. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our great provider. In every moment, in every hardship, in every difficulty that you provide, it may not be a way out, but you do provide us with a way to draw near to you, to continue on trusting wholly in you. And God, I ask that you would help us to do that this morning, help us to do that this week, that you would be glorified in us and that you would draw us nearer to you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have provided a lamb who will take away the sin of the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.